0: You are listening to the Center for Urban Research Teaching and Outreach Curto Conversations podcast. In each episode, campus and community experts will highlight collaborations that contribute to the advancement of the human community. Marquette University is located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the traditional lands of Potawatomi, Ho-Chunk, and Menominee peoples along the southwest shores of Mishigami. North America's largest system of freshwater lakes, where the Milwaukee, Menominee, and Kinnikinick rivers meet, and, and the people of Wisconsin, Sovereign, Anishinaabe, Honchunk, Menominee, Anita, and Mahicot nations remain present.
1: Welcome back to Curdo Conversations our podcast about the Center for Urban Research Teaching and Outreach. I'm Benjamin Lindsay, and I will be the host this week. And this week we will be joined by the my fellows who are in the first graduate cohort to come through Curdo. I will throw it to them for introductions, starting with Lisa Lampson. Lisa?
2: Hi, so as Ben said, my name is Lisa Lamson, and I am currently a lecturer in history and humanities at the University of Wisconsin Green Bay. I was formerly the education and outreach coordinator with CURDO, and I was also a former Arthur J. Schmidt leadership fellow um, with Marquette. I am still working on my PhD in American history with a focus on 19th century uh, African-American education and the development of universal education as it intersects with understandings of black childhood.
1: Thank you. And my other guest is Theodore Williams IV. Uh,
3: Theodore Williams IV, as Ben just mentioned, preferred to be called Teddy i um, currently the program coordinator for the Shula Scholar Program in Lake Forest, Illinois, helping with persistence and college access for first-generation low-income scholars. Um, I recently just graduated from Marquette in May with my master's degree in American history with an emphasis on racial relations, higher education, and incarceration. Uh, and I also served as the master's student graduate research assistant at Curdo.
1: And he's also a former McNair scholar. Yeah.
2: We'll sell Uh, your cred, dude.
1: (laughs) Right. As a McNair scholar, I have to to pump that. So way to go.
3: I totally forgot to throw that out there. (laughs) (laughs) All
1: right. Well, thank you both for joining me at this early time in the morning. I really do appreciate it. And this is going to just be an informal conversation uh, about, you know, as as the first group to have kind of gone through, I'm curious, especially since I still don't know that a lot of people know that CURDO is a thing because we've kind of kept everything low key. And I know that we are beginning to push out and make connections across the campus. But when we all first started with it, it was kind of a word of mouth thing. So I'm curious as to how, A, you all first became aware of CURDO and B, how you became involved with the organization. Hmm.
3: Um. For myself, kind of started a little bit after my acceptance, my acceptance into Marquette. After talking with Dr. Efford, I realized Dr. Robert Smith was at Marquette University, and which I did not have knowledge at the time because I think he had just got to Marquette if I'm not mistaken. And once being being in contact with him, I was introduced to Kurtos since he was going to be directing and leading Curdo. And from there, I got introduced into what Kurtos was all about or was trying to be all about. And from there, I just went underneath Rob's wing, and he was just helping me conduct my research through Curto, but also still allow me to keep my own emphasis on the things that I wanted to work on. So I still feel like it was kind of still word of mouth, because I did hear from Dr. Efford, who then put me in contact with uh, Dr. Smith.
2: So huh. I found out about Curto when we interviewed uh, Dr. Smith. And one of the things, as someone with a research interest I have, I'm I'm incredibly motivated to sort of say, how can I give back to the community? And and in particular, I think it's really important for me because I do not identify with the the modern day community that I research. So I'm not African descendant. While I am a woman of color. I'm a different kind of woman of color, and it did not feel ethically okay, but a little bit voyeuristic to, to just do research and not sort of contribute. So prior to Rob's hiring at Marquette, I had been after trying to do something And I had sort of gotten involved with college readiness programs that didn't really go anywhere because I was a transplant to uh, Milwaukee. So I didn't have those already established sort of connections with community outreach. I had no idea where to go. And this opportunity sort of dropped into my lap. And the year we hired... And re Rob and reopened Curto, I begged to work for him and was like, I want to do this. I want to be able to support the community. I have no idea where to start. Please let me learn how to do this sort of sort of community focused historical r- work. This is the kind of scholar I want to be. And I don't think I could be an ethical scholar without having this in my back pocket and sort of doing something to support the the class. And and like even as I teach, there's a whole lot of like doing for the communities that you're part of. And it's not just within the the, the university's walls. So I think it was like immediate I was volunteering and sort of working for for Curto, and then it was this formalized I think my the second year the center was open, and then my second year with them.
1: Okay, thank you. And I think that that speaks to a lot of, of what we try to do here, uh, that nexus of volunteering and trying to uh, work through our discipline for the betterment of not only ourselves, but the community. So could you speak to a little bit about what it is that you did while you were at Curdo?
2: So I wore a variety of hats as we tried to figure out sort of what the center was, what the center was focused on, how to do programming inside and outside of the university. And one of my predominant roles um, was to coordinate programming within the university. And one of the biggest things and the most consistent things was working with campus Ministries soup with substance series, finding and identifying and promoting speakers that aligned with uh, the sort of brief of social justice issues within the community over over a light a light meal. So that was my first couple and then we added things like I did some outreach and supplemental programming. With the Velar Phillips Youth Justice Correctional Facility, where we worked with the teaching corps at that school to figure out how to best support these students um, who who are incarcerated and have pla- been placed at the school by a judge um, so that they had a fuller and, and more not more enriching but a, a, a different educational experience the staff at that school are phenomenal i cannot say enough good things about them and then i also helped with sort of back end support on a couple of things that because of my my position at green bay and when i got hired i had to seed a sort of Control and work on where I was going to help with the leadership and brotherhood summit or lab at Marquette, which was going to be moved online to sort of support youth and men and men of color, black and and Latinx, sort of with educational attainment and sort of community building, as well as the digital. Milwaukee history series that we're called co- that Curto called March on, comma Milwaukee about local history and how to use it for educational focus. So everything I did with Curto had education tied to it, but whether that programming was inside or outside of the academy was largely the, um, the focus. And there was some some definite not not sure it kills me that I had to leave some of the projects that I was working on.
3: For myself, though I did not wear as many hats as Lisa. <laughs> the role that I did play was very much centered around the research that I was conducting through Curdo and for Curdo on looking at the lands- the increasing landscape regarding the incarceration of Black youth in Milwaukee County. So a lot of my work did pertain around that and also dealing with Meeting with other groups like Youth Justice Milwaukee, which was the primary community organization that Curdle worked with in regards to this project. And also then meeting with other groups like Running Rubbles and also meeting with people at Bell Phillips as well and Department of Youth, Family and Services and also meeting with a whole national colloquium of people that's discussing this research as well. So meeting with other professors, meeting with other activists, meeting with other lawyers, and also people that's also affected by house arrest bracelets as well, outside of Milwaukee County, was really mainly per- pertaining to my role in Curdo. But it was very much so centered around the research that I conducted for the, for the office.
1: Yes, and I want to stress that what both Teddy and Lisa have talked about that they've done continues at CURDO. Of course, we, we continue to have an education and outreach coordinator that is, and we have expanded the electronic monitoring research that Teddy began into a carceral studies fellow that is Marisola. We also have another graduate student working with her on that. So Sterling Knox is also working on that. These were truly some groundbreaking things that you were involved in, that both of you were involved in, that continue on and have grown. Because you mentioned the Leadership and Brotherhood Summit, we said. We have two graduate students who are working on that, Veronica and Saul. The the seeds that the two of you helped plant in Kudu are continuing to flower and grow as the center continues on. And I think that's really important that you should both I hope, take pride in that.
2: I do. I mean I think I think is great. I I want to do something very, very similar at at the university I'm
3: at. I definitely did not take Curto for granted at all. Curto gave me my opportunity at Marquette and also in Milwaukee as I am not from Wisconsin or the Midwest. And I, I'm always so used to having connections to my communities that I am living in or surrounded by. And Curdle was that bridge for me into the Milwaukee community.
2: For sure. No, I completely agree. Like, it, it made Milwaukee feel more like a place I belonged rather than a place I was temp- temporarily in. Because, like, Teddy, I'm also not from the Midwest. I'm also not from Milwaukee. And there's some definite, like, culture culture shock moments being a transplant and it's difficult sometimes especially when you're transitory to feel community oriented and then to have your work mean something or or support the communities that you want to belong and
3: support and I think even adding the stressor about uh, how hurdle was even ran and how hurdle approached these type of projects uh, Mm -hmm. community outreach that it really centralized the community and not the academy it wasn't about marquette Yep. And I, that was the, the biggest thing that stood out to me about Curtle, because that's, that was Dr. Smith's dream, I guess, of Curdle. Like it's, it's not supposed to be about the Marquette community, but more about the Milwaukee community, necessarily making that bridge, but emphasizing that connection to the pond where it's not, oh, we only see you as like research ponds versus human mm-hmm. beings. And I think that was the biggest thing that really came out of that office if it's not noticed.
1: I think that's a really good point because there has been a very conscious effort to not have this be a bunch of people from the university coming out and showing, here's the way you do it. We have relied heavily on the expertise within the community, as it should be, because they know more about what their community needs than than we do necessarily. So it is important to build relationships, not just go out and offer expertise. Yes. So how do... How do you, and whoever wants to start first with this one certainly is welcome to, how do you see Curdo affecting your current positions? I mean, I know, Lisa, you said that you want to do something very similar to that, but going forward, I mean, right now, you are both fairly freshly out of Curdo. how do you think that this is going to impact your futures that's not just Scholars, but as also as activists.
2: I can take a stab at it, Teddy. If you okay? <laughs> um, so I was actually asked this question during my interview for Green Bay. And uh, I made I made the joke that uh, sometimes I don't know when periods are when I'm talking. And I, I go flying into something where I'm like, oh, I need to put the words back in my mouth. And that was that question for me. And I flat out said I am a less ethical person if I don't do the kind of work Curto does. And not only a less ethical scholar, and I used some, some choice uh, jargon uh, to describe it but i'm a less I'm a less ethical person. and And I always wanted and felt very uncomfortable with the perception that academics take and they don't give. And it means a lot for me to give to not only the communities, um the modern day equivalent of the communities that I research, um in ways that utilize my skill set. So a lot of what I do, uh, I predominantly work in the history of education and schooling, so a lot of what I'm trying to do breaks not only the prison or the the school-to-prison pipeline, but also supports sort of educational attainment and access and retainment and support because those look very different depending on the community. And then my own sort of development is I'm also really passionate about supporting domestic Asian American populations, or Asian, depending on who you're talking about, where I can use the skills that I'm learning and developing from my position at Curto as my position as a lecturer now to sort of say, like, there are many other communities that suffer from similar. How can we help? And how can I best support these communities and like, I know I'm gonna be doing this for the rest of my life. And I did not say that as eloquently as I did right now in my interview, but it very much was like, I'm interested in public history. I'm interested in this sort of advocacy work and I'm interested in educational access. What can we do to make our classrooms and colleges and spaces meet students where they are or where they're at versus having them conform to the institution, which has been overtly or implicitly hostile at times. And that's sort of when I had to write all of those documents. For my interview, it very much I realized this is the core of who I am as a person. And it, it developed and was refined through my work with Curdo. And I was really explicit about that. Of course, everyone in the, the interview was super excited. And they're like, we have someone to talk to. <laughs> and, and it spiraled from there. And then my, my chairs have had been like, so you don't actually have to do service with your position. So like throttle back just a little bit before you leap into the cliff. Give yourself some breathing room.
3: Also, just like Lisa, I just feel like this is my life's work. This is what I've been dedicating myself to since Beloit College and even coming to Marquette and post Marquette. I'm looking at the position that I have now as a program coordinator for the Shula Scholars Program. Thanks to Curdo, now I'm able to figure out like gaps within organizations or uh, within certain institutions and figure out how to fill certain gaps and also dealing with certain populations, especially since Shuler deals with first-generation, low-income, unrepresented uh, scholars, but the staff is overwhelmingly white. So there's a major disconnect instantly just with that relationship. So figuring out how to bridge that and also with Schuler being more high school dominant than college dominant, and I work more on a college side of things, it's kind of interesting to see how it it pans out. Since I've got at Schuler, I've now opened up a position around graduate access. So now I'm creating a, a graduate research hub around graduate access. And it's just basically giving them the tools that they need in order to apply, negotiate, and get into their graduate programs. I am not guaranteed that, oh, I will get you into grad school. But these are the tools and the kit that you can use to navigate that application process emotionally and mentally, all of those things, and also providing a timeline. And this is something that Shula has not even thought about at all. Granted, the CEO has always talked about, I would love for our students to go to graduate school. I would love for our employees to go to graduate school. But nobody has made the attempt as much because there was no resource behind it. And just a note about is that it is a non-profit organization, but it operates more like within the private sector. It's funded by one single person, so this person has a lot of money to fund this organization. So therefore, we do have the financial accessibility. It's just a matter of distributing those resources and also taking the emphasis out of just focusing on academia when I was what I was scholar because, like I said, we have first-generation, low-income, unre- unrepresented scholars they face challenges beyond academics. Our students are not struggling academically. It's everything else. When they go to these predominantly white campuses, they're getting major culture shocks. They're also experiencing things they have not experienced once before. Like, yes, they know racism is a thing, but it's different when it's blankly in your face. And then also you meet them with people who put on masks all the time and the performance of whiteness is so crucial. And a lot of my research, from Beloit and also in Marquette, focused a lot on whiteness as a whole. And it still does to this day, I still have a major interest in whiteness and how whiteness affects bodies of color particularly. And also now I'm just switching over more into a little bit of little gender studies now and just focusing on how that in itself is even problematic. Looking at applications, looking at the Schuler application in itself, why are you forcing people to put, list their gender or their sex? These are not things that would determine whether or not they get into this program. You know, so just diversifying, but also challenging for my job. And I think Kurtle kind of taught me that. Like, I'm not afraid to speak up necessarily, knowing that somebody's going to back me up at some point, but also knowing that I have the ability to do these things. I will not silence myself for anybody, but I will do things respectfully the best way that I can. And it starts making those small steps. Like, Kurtle tried to respond, I mean, Shula tried to respond to... everything that's going on in the world outside of the pandemic, of course, so, you know, the racial discrimination, police brutality, shootings, and they're not realizing they're communicating, they're not communicating this information properly for the students that they serve. And once again, these are messages being sent out by white uh, staff members who don't understand what it feels like to have your body feel like a target. And I just think Curdo personally has helped shape that and refined my mind in a sense of what I think about the institution and things I can do in regards to challenging the institutions that I even work for. And since I do want to ultimately be in academia at some point or another in my life, working at some <laughs> university, I know I want to do diversity, equity, and inclusion work. And this is just a stepping stone. It starts off with the nonprofit for me and then moving into another position that would allow for me to do greater work. You know, because one day I might end up being a McNair director, hopefully, if that happens. Uh, Starting out working at some trio funded program or something like that, just to get my foot in the door. But I think this was the stepping stone. And I don't think I would have got here necessarily if I didn't have that refined way of thinking after being through Curto
1: Well, thank you both for your time this morning. I just want to say that Curto was lucky to have both of you. And personally, it was a pleasure to count you as colleagues, co-workers, and, and most importantly, friends, because I really do feel that the relationships that we make, not only with the community, but within curdo itself have been very important uh, to me anyway. I'll, I will speak for myself there. And I thank you both for taking the time. Like I said, I cannot wait to see the great things that you guys accomplish. And next time you're in the city, tacos are on me.
2: Ooh.
1: <laughs> thank, thank you.
2: I've yet to find a taco place up
1: here. Well, thank you for listening to the Curto Conversations. And thank you again to Lisa and Teddy for taking time out of their Friday mornings to record this.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Curto Conversations. You can learn more about this podcast and the work being done with our partners, by visiting the Center for Urban Research, Teaching, and Outreach website at marquette.edu. You can reach the podcast via email at urbancenter at marquette.edu. Music for this episode is by Ronald E. Johnson, whose music can be found at Choco Geek and Song.